Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Human Reaction, your weekly source for independent commentary on news, politics, and culture, where it is always our mission to arm you with the tools that you need to cut through media misdirection and resist the mononarrative. Today, we basically have one mission, and that is to look into the tragedy that has occurred in the latest conflict in Israel. It's a very fraught topic, and we're going to do our absolute best to navigate it carefully, respectfully, uh, with with every bit of uh, caution and care that we possibly can. And David has done a tremendous amount of research, and uh, we're going to, I think, try to look at this through a lens that 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 helps. It's going to help our our listeners and viewers with some mental models in, in how to perceive this issue. Is that right? That's right. I mean, and trying to forge a different path because so many of the existing dialogue about this are very worn grooves in the American mindset that, and it's kind of like trying to get out of those grooves and in, into new territory to think about this without committing the kind of errors that are so common in this space. Um, my story on this is, for years, I avoided the Israel-Palestine conflict, right? Even in, in college, I remember reading about it and just thinking, I just don't want to think about this. It's such a difficult and indetractable problem. Um, and for a lot of this week, I stayed up super late at night. I barely saw my family. I was a terrible dad and husband because I was so grappling with this issue and like how to try to create something here that was responsible, right? Because one of the things I saw on Saturday is there's so much irresponsibility immediately. I mean, the benefit of being a weekly news show is we can hopefully give some detachment and kind of de-emotionalize and step back and while hopefully maintaining a certain degree of moral clarity, right? And allowing facts to sort of come to full fruition and full light, right? We're not, we're not as, as prone to maybe um, the, the very reactionary emotional thing that can happen when, when something is so fresh, right? We have a little bit of space. And so hopefully we can provide that for our, our viewers today as well. That's right. Yeah. And, and so for our disclaimer here, nothing can justify the murder of innocent civilians. Nothing can. I mean, we're talking about children and babies and terrible, terrible things that are happening to these people. Uh, there are a lot of people on the internet with room temperature IQ who are taking advantage of the emotion of the moment to say that anyone who wants to understand this issue and uh, a 75 year long conflict is justifying the atrocity that happened on, you know, last Saturday. And let me be absolutely clear on October 7th, 2023, the actions of Hamas were absolutely pure evil and there's no justification in the world for doing what they did period. And we start there but then if that's all you need to know, you're, you're, you're also making yourself liable to problems, right? You could make things worse if you only know that, right? Um, fear is the mind killer at the end of the day. It's the thing that when we're emotional about something, we make bigger errors. So we have to use our reason. Uh, we have to think our way through this problem and reason our way through this problem and use our cool heads to sort this out. Righteous indignation May, might make you look good on social media, but it will not save innocent lives. If that's your goal, if your stated goal is to preserve life, it, righteous indignation won't do that. Uh, and then uh, another point 
is that a tremendous amount of the existing kind of like mental grooves that the American public is in in this, and maybe maybe the West, I don't I don't know, is uh, euphemisms and cliches based upon stereotypes. Trying to get out of those ruts of how we think of Israel, how we think of Palestine, to build a moral framework that rejects collectivism um, and charts a pathway to peace is kind of the goal set that I set for myself this week as I was trying to articulate not just what happened, because you know we, that's part of our responsibility, but also the kind of mental models that people might consider to interpret the news as it rolls out over the next week um, or in months, perhaps, uh, with this conflict. Absolutely. And um, I think a very important disclaimer, and, and we have to make people very clear where we stand because it's a very, very sensitive topic and a sensitive time. For those folks that might not be clear about the area, can we kind of lay the groundwork and establish some facts here in terms of what the situation looks like in Israel and Palestine? Yep. Yeah. So um, we can jump over to the map here. What we have is this area on the west by the sea called Gaza, right? This is a very different area than the other Palestinian areas, such as the West Bank. Uh, what we want to make the point is, is since 2007, Gaza has existed as its own kind of zone area that is quarantined off from the rest of Israel through a series of fortified fortifications, uh, walls, checkpoints. In order for someone in Gaza to get access to jobs outside of Gaza, they have to get a work permit and go through a checkpoint on a daily basis. That kind of gives you a picture of what Gaza is like. Um, it's been run by an organization called Hamas for some time since, since uh, I believe the elections were 2007. Uh, there hasn't been an election since then that I'm aware of. Uh, and the charter of Hamas has changed substantially over time. And one of the areas of manipulation here is like, what what is Hamas? <laughs> like, what what is this group? Uh, as people kind of like select, you know, intentionally select different time periods to make what Hamas is. Um, but more about the area, uh, and we'll get back to that later. About two and a half million people live there. It's about five miles wide by about 25 miles long, about twice the size of Washington, D.C., right? Um not a very big area if you're thinking about it in Montana terms, especially, but even in like West Coast terms, uh, uh, in, in a tremendous amount of people, very densely packed into that area. Half of these people are children, about 50%. That's because the family size of this area, these uh, of this is very, very large. So you're talking about 1.25 million people under the age of 18 in the population of Gaza. That is according to the statistics I was looking at. Yeah. Okay. Um, 80% of the people who eat there don't eat there because they grow food there or because they have they make money and then buy food that's imported. Very difficult to get anything out of the Gaza Strip. Most of it, and some of the statistics I was looking at, 80% of the people who live there survive on foreign aid only. Foreign aid, like foreign governments supporting right. them. Right. Okay. The other 20% are people who work outside of Gaza, who live in Gaza, and then, you know, buy from grocery stores and things like that. And does foreign aid include like humanitarian organizations, nonprofits? Right. Okay. So, All the, of so, the, so really, sorry, just to clarify, yeah. like there's no, there's no like real economy that exists there. Yeah, there is and there isn't. So that you'll have, um, you'll have like a shopping mall there or like a water park, 
right? Two and a half million people live there and they have cell phones, right? It's a very strange, hard to wrap your head around sort of situation because it's both like a modern city, but also not. And uh, there's also large areas of it that are rubble and have been rubble since the second Antifada in the early 2000s. Um, and there's a tremendous amount of um, stagnation there, right? Because it's pretty much been locked into this place. And I'm trying to avoid using all the words that are used everywhere else to in order to keep us out of the American mind groove, right? Because I don't want to send the signal that I'm on a side at any given point. What I'm trying to do is empower people with knowledge so that they can make up their minds. And that's incredibly hard to do in this space. To understand the American mind groove, what would that language be? How would that be referred to? Open air prison. Gaza is referred to as an open air prison. Yeah. That's, that's usually by pro Palestinian organization. Uh, Israel say like, and, and it's an indetractable difficult question because Gaza has been a Palestinian area for a very long time. So it's like the original 1940s, but it's shrunk a little bit. Um, but it's overall, it's like the most contiguous Palestinian area in Israel. Um, the, if you look at the map, the West bank is an example. Like if you look at the white line, that's the original like agreement on the West bank. And then if you look at all these colors, and this is very difficult for me to do because <laughs> I'm colorblind. So help me up. I'm, help me here, Joe. I got you. You had the Palestinian authority and what they control versus what is settler owned versus what is open, like not like inhabited by anybody. Yeah. Yeah. So we're seeing that. I mean, the, the various areas that are shaded blue looks like the Fatah faction. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there, but there is a lot of it that is, uh, not colored or shaded in any way is that that's that's all the uninhabited areas yeah uninhabited or and then and then there's a the difficulty of where there are are settlements being built by israel in the west bank and that's been a debate that you've probably heard of before like it boils up occasionally in the last 20 years where israel is building not the government but private actors one of the disclaimers i had maybe i should have had (laughs) is that um for both sides there are official actors, right? There's the official Israeli government's actions. And then there's actions of private individuals. Some of those private individuals do horrible things that the Israeli government doesn't want them to do. Right. And there's no, there's not a monopoly on power there where everything that private actors do, the government likes. And then there's also the same thing with, with uh, the Palestinians where um, there are things that individual Palestinians do that Hamas doesn't want and vice versa. Does it make sense? Mm-hmm. Or the PLO or, or um, uh, in different eras or the Palestinian Authority or whatever. Each, each one of these groups or um, factions have uh, both official actions and unofficial actions. So it gets really murky once you get into there because like you'll have these maps that show the shrinking of Palestine over time. And Israel has a criticism of that map that says like, well, look, I mean, some these are all different things that explain a very complex history and we don't want to simplify it to make it look like Israel's just taking land. Mm-hmm. In some circumstances, they kind of just took land, right? I mean, like they, I mean, they say it's like a just spoil of war, but that is what they're taking. Sure. Um, and kind of renegotiating the deal using a conflict. And, you know, that's part of international situations like this. Trying once again, not to use the loaded language, but noting that the shrinking that's happening there, some of that's happening because of private citizens buying land justly and other ones of people who are perhaps taking that land as private citizens, right? We have all these, they have, you know, very specific circumstances where there um, is Palestinians have raised this case of, hey, we had uh, this uh, area that my family's been in the West Bank for a very long time. And now someone's moved in there and I can't get into it. Um, and there's a general, that's like the crux of the entire 
75-year history here is a disagreement over this land and who has the just claim to it at the end of the day. Um, and what is the right methods to accomplish what each actor wants to accomplish? Um, one more thing about Gaza. Uh, unless you got something, question about that. No. Okay. I was just going to say, I, I would like to, and I, I don't want to oversimplify because I know that the history is very long and very complex, but perhaps a, an overview of the, some of the historical conflicts that have occurred would be appropriate. And I don't know if we have maybe necessarily the time to even go into that, <laughs> but perhaps we can link some resources in the show notes that would allow people somewhere to go to, to really dig into that because it's, it's well documented and it's, it's very long standing. I think we'll, we'll touch on it as we go through the mental models too, because a lot of this has to do with, as I'm educating myself, finding errors, right? I mean, I would watch one guy explain the history and he was pro Israel and he admits some really key information that looks really bad for Israel. And then someone else like talk about that from the Palestinian point of view, and then kind of cast Israel as if, it was only official actions and things that sometimes weren't out of weren't in the government's control, right? And then kind of casting that all as one giant thing. Mm. And it's and it gets very complicated there, right? Anytime you're making a media product, you gotta cut fat. You gotta try to slim it down so people can understand it. And complexity can be a problem. Uh, the great thing about long form interview formats is hopefully then we can like dig into all the rabbit holes and then hopefully pull ourselves out back again and try to make sure the overall point stays on track. Mm-hmm. But uh, a couple more statistics here on Gaza. Youth unemployment is 70%. Adult unemployment is 50%. There's all kinds of arbitrary lack of, um, well, a difficult lack of ability to get a job and have uh, a normal economy, uh, in part because of the what Israel owns in this is their policies around this, such as if you wanted to get a job outside of the outside of Gaza, and your brother has a connection to Hamas, you might not get that job. In fact, it might, it might be the policy that it's impossible for you to get the job, mm. right? Um, Just because of my association with someone who is in Hamas. Right. At okay. least that is the reporting from them, sure. right? Um, I could find nothing that said that wasn't true, right? Uh, and, and then additionally to that, it's a security dilemma for Israel, right? They don't want to let people out of Gaza. The whole point of having everyone in Gaza was in order to limit the liability of the areas outside of Gaza from a terrorist attack, right? Sure. Access to clean water is a huge issue there. Uh, and power is a huge issue there. About three hours of power a day was the standard before this whole fight and what's happened in the last few days. Three hours a day. So if you're um, born at eight in the morning, uh, and you need an incubator, that means they have a generator that's running, hopefully long enough when they have access to fuel, hopefully long enough. And they have the money to buy fuel, hopefully long enough to get you to the period in day where there's actually power to run your incubator. And then they got to put you back on a generator. That's the kind of level of wealth we're talking about out of this area. Very, very poor in that sense. And, um, why there's a brownout every day and only power for three hours a day. I don't know. I'm, I couldn't find any clear answer about that. Why access to clean water is such a huge problem. I'm not really sure. Uh, there's um, some of it is like the Palestinians are blaming the Israelis for that. Um, there's also the infrastructure problem that's just inherent in being an area that's bombed regularly. Uh, and then there's also Hamas, like video today came out that showed Hamas like digging up under, pipes underground and then turning them into mortar shells. And so, and so then you're like, well, 
<laughs> it's hard to it's hard to completely blame Israel for that, right? We don't I don't know what the variables are that would be able to do that, but it's definitely not as clean of a narrative as this is just Israel being jerks, right? Yeah. On the other side of it, the Gaza Strip is kind of Israel's responsibility if it's not a nation state, right? And if it's not an if the official policy is that they aren't citizens of Israel, but they're kind of Israel's responsibility in a sense. Um, that's that's the kind of the vagaries that exist here. That's like if you ask someone, are they Israel's responsibility? I think a Palestinian would say no, but Israel's doing all these things to them, right? So, yeah, I mean, I guess my question would be like, if 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 Israel is, is sort of arbitrating who can leave the country, uh, if you can get a job, if you know certain people, it does burden them with a bit of responsibility to care for those people if they're limiting their freedom and ability to go and live normal free lives. Right. right? And and there's also the obvious security dilemma of that for, for Israel, right? That they're trying to navigate through. And, and the fact that it's indetractable and bears risk is just the nature of it, right? You can't escape that. So the question is, is how to reach the ends that they want using means that are compatible with their values. To clarify one thing, um, in, intractable, right? Yeah. Intractable, um, not able to be solved or moved, I think is generally the, the yeah. definition. For yeah. people that are hearing you say that, you've used uh -oh. it a few times, I just want to make sure we're clear on the definition of that. It's, it just, I can look it up in fact. Uh, it's an, what I'm meaning is an insolvable problem, right? Correct. Like you can't have the perfect intelligence to know if your brother being part of Hamas is a sufficient cause for you not to get a work permit. Right. And if you're, if you're, if you, the way you think of, here's the criticism of Israel in this space, potentially, and this would be true for some Israelis, but not all. And I want to make the difference there is that there is a mental model amongst Israelites that Israel's and people from Israel, that there is a, that all Palestinians are X or that all Palestinians don't count in some way that they're not the same kind of person. The rest of us are, um, uh, and that they're, in that faction that believes that, you know, that mental model is there and it's a real part of what they have to contend with a radical faction. That's like, Hey, you guys should never been here or we need to get rid of you or we got to, you know, like that doesn't make a difference between Hamas and Palestine, Palestinians, um, between innocence and non-innocence. Right. And is that because you referred to the term up front, uh, as collectivism, is that a symptom? Is that a, is that a collectivist viewpoint? Yeah, right. If you if you can if if you remove individual action and you just associate the things that you want to associate with the collective, another way to think about it is groups don't act; individuals do. Groups don't steal; individuals steal. They can't commit murder. Individuals commit murder. When um, when Germany invades Russia, right? That's not. That's a particular chancellor of Germany deciding to do that in the Prussian war, right? Um, they send individuals to go do that. Now, it's a shorthand to say Germany invades Russia, and sometimes that's convenient, that's helpful. But you don't want to confuse the moral matrix of your methodology, right? Meaning like how you conceptualize the moral standing of everybody involved. If it's not individualism, if it's not using individual statistics, you're doing something that could be rife with error. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's on every level of analysis, right? Hamas is not Palestine, right? They're a government that was elected in 2007 that 
right now, 50% of the people there weren't born yet. To, to elect them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then, and, and, then, and just to make another point, they came to power in 2007 and haven't left power. So ostensibly they've just retained power. There may not be the means for a democratic mm-hmm. election that we were accustomed, would be accustomed to right. in the West. But polling does suggest that they're very popular there. Right? So like what, what do you believe? Like it's, it's difficult to tease that out. And so how do you, how do you associate everything one of the Moss does with the people? And then, and then additionally to that, if you say, okay, we, we want to make sure we don't commit the uh, Osama bin Laden error, which was that? his argument was you elected Bill Clinton. Therefore it's okay for me to attack you at nine 11 because Bill Clinton killed half a million children in Iraq in the 1990s. Your, your, you have a democratic accountability because democracy exists and you're a voter in that democracy, you're responsible for your leaders and therefore it's okay if I kill you is what Bin Laden said. We don't want to make his error, right? And we, we definitely want to make sure that um, well-meaning people who are trying to navigate this with good faith don't make the mistake of the collective, the collectivist mistake. So uh, let's, let's dive into what happened this weekend because, you know, uh, just to catch anyone up if you've been living under a rock since then. 1,500 fighters out of nowhere overwhelmed several Israeli military bases. This is really big deal, right? And trying to put it into the context, this kind of coordination, the kind of diversity of attack using air, land, sea, using tractors and bulldozers to get through these fortifications, um, it all being so well-timed. Uh, some of the reports today said they've been planning it for two years. Um, it's on a it's on a particular date uh, that is important for uh, the Jewish people, um, and what it means militarily, right, is is a really big deal. Uh, in that it was, you know, functionally Israel is like the fourth most powerful is you know military in the world, and these dudes like not wearing shoes and not having modern communication equipment, um, you know, with against the one of the biggest most sophisticated intelligence apparatuses in the world caught them off off on the back foot. Yeah. There was uh, the, you know, legitimate military targets that were targeted and, and was a, a big problem. I mean, they literally pushed past a lot of the uh, legitimate fortifications and, um, you know, a lot of soldiers and, and gun uh, battles erupted out of that, pushed past that into um, uh, civilian controlled areas, kibbutzes and, um, is that the right word? Kibbutz? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, in nearby towns and, committed slaughter, right? There was uh, a nearby music festival that turned into a massacre. One of the things here I want to note is we can't, it's, it's really easy to fall into if you are sensitive to the plight of the disproportionate power that Israel has over Palestine to look at, look at Palestine as a victim and an oppressed group as the Israelites as oppressors, right? If you have that moral matrix, then what you'll see, what you'll kind of be sensitive to is like this, this like, I see them this way, so I'm going to identify, if you're used to identify with, with, the, with the oppressed, you can make the error of saying, well, I mean, like, look, they did this thing, right? And it must be because they're oppressed, rather than having them take their own ownership of it. But Hamas has put out a lot of misinformation here, right? For example, with the Carnival Massacre, the, one of the first videos we saw was of people running away from these guys shooting people. And we now have video of these guys systematically walking and hunting these people down and shooting innocent people as they hid in their cars, right? Um, 
And there is no doubt whatsoever that this happened. And yet Hamas still put out and it's like, no, these are people just caught in a crossfire between the security of the, um, of the event and Hamas as they were coming through. And they were intending to shoot these unarmed civilians is, was what Hamas put out before the videos came out of Hamas literally walking around and executing people as they lay on the ground helpless and unarmed. I mean, come on, guys. This is, the, I mean, it's just absolutely irresponsible to ignore that evidence and just say, well, this is just a, you know, this is just what happens when you do bad things to people. It's like, no, no, no. Hamas owns their, their actions here and you can't take that from them, right? Uh, and, and excuse it because of what I'm going to talk about and I've mentioned and kind of hinted at that Palestine has lots of problems that our Israelis, you know, Israel, Israel needs to take responsibility for. So um, beware of the internet narratives and the misinformation coming out of there. Here's where we're at when it comes to casualty figures. As of yesterday, I tried to look it up before the show. I couldn't find any updated ones, so these might be old numbers. Uh, in Gaza, we are currently at 830 people killed, 4,250 injured. In the West Bank, 19 killed, 110 injured. So like that's a different area from Gaza. Keep that in mind. This is over by uh, to the east of Jerusalem. Um, yeah. Uh, to be clear, those are Palestinians killed. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Okay. Those yeah. first two figures. So eight, 830 and 19 um, collectively Palestinians yep. killed. Yep. yep. And then uh, Israel uh, is still, they're still kind of unwinding a lot of these communities and going through and counting and uh, trying to identify bodies and people. They're currently at 1,200 killed, 2,600 uh, 2, injured uh, with 22 actually U.S. citizens. Um, was the calculation that I saw earlier today that are confirmed as killed. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we have a a bunch of captives uh, that have also been taken to Gaza. So uh, the, or people are just missing that those aren't part of those figures as far as I can tell. So why did this happen is a very uh, strange story. So why was Israel so unprepared on an intelligence front and then from a military military front? There was a lot of speculation this week about whether or not, okay, there's before this whole thing happened, one of the major stories coming out of Israel was this judicial reform effort from the Benjamin Netanyahu. Did I say his name right? Close I, enough. I never can get his name wrong. All right. Um, that, that was to reform the judiciary because some people speculate his, his case is that the judiciary's kind of like lost their way and they have too much power and they're trying to rebalance the power of the judiciary, if I understand his case right. The case from the skeptics was that the judiciary was getting in the way of building more settlements in the West Bank and expanding settlements at the speed and assertion that the Likud's party wanted. Uh, and The Likud's party? That's, uh, that's Bibi's party. <laughs> I can't say the dude's <laughs> name. I'm sorry, guys. Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, henceforth, BB uh, from <laughs> it, David. The, yeah, <laughs> it is the Likud party, right? Yeah, and, okay. the, and and it's not an official stance of them, but it's like that right wing faction wants more settlers to put pressure on the West Bank. Is the accusation from their from their critics? So there's that question. Is like a bunch of soldiers, and like we're talking thousands of soldiers, soldiers according to some media reports, were like not ready in part because there was such a huge constitutional crisis around this judicial reform question. Very interesting analysis because a lot of those soldiers were like, 
I'm not, I'm, I'm technically on active duty, but I'm going to go home because I'm not going to, because, because I protest this action by the government to reform the judiciary. I see. So it was almost as if there was a, a sort of a strike of sorts to put it in that, that's, in that terminology. You can find coverage that suggests that. Now, a bunch of it's a bit gone from the internet now. I was mm. trying to find some of it, but... Um, it's like it's it was there. And well, that you- was the first question I had, right? Is when the strategic question of like, how could this happen first happened on like Sunday. I was like, wait a minute, wasn't there... I just saw a story about all these soldiers that were protesting uh, the actions of the uh, majority government. Um, and then it became very hard to find those stories. So I don't, I don't know if that's a, a true part of that, but it was... I saw other people speculating on that and it is a worthwhile question of, you know, was the timing as such? And now we do know the timing now was a very long time. This is not the first time Israel's been attacked on this date. Mm. Uh, there was another attack in like the 1970s, I think it was on the same date or the 1980s. Uh, and um, this is a, a Jewish holiday as well. So like there's all kinds of potential strategic reasons why the Palestinians might attack on this night. Uh, sorry, but the, But the possibility is that they were attacked. It could have been that, that, that Hamas took advantage of this bit of political instability or this, you know, moment when Israeli guards were down to, to, to capitalize on this. Mm-hmm. And their focus was inward at the time and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. That could be, that could be part of their strategic analysis. It obviously had exactly the opposite effect, right? It created a rally around the flag attack or effect, which is just of course in hindsight, but you know, Everyone always sees their opponent as different from themselves, but everyone's actually just like everybody else, where if you attack a country, the country's more likely to coalesce around themselves than separate. It's uh, September 12th, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then there's the massive intelligence fa- failure. Like I said earlier, Mossad is an int- incredibly respected intelligence agency, one of the most strongest in the world from what they, what people report about it. Uh, and... Egypt, for example, said that they warned them weeks ago. Israel denies this, but it's a very interesting dynamic where, you know, that it, it, a lot of people understandably are like, how is it possible that they didn't have any signal intelligence on this? I mean, that was one of my first questions uh, was how did, how did Mossad miss this, right? Because of that air of mystique and, and prowess that they have internationally as being the best, mm-hmm. you know? So the next question is it just what happened and the kind of the how it's the the aims. Why did this happen? What is Hamas's motivation? So first the motivation is obviously complaints from Gaza, right? That are just the the complaints that happened a long time. It's been turned into an open air prison, that kind of rhetoric. The West Bank is being encroached by Israeli settlers, the theft of Palestinian homes by settlers in the West Bank. Uh, the detention of thousands of Palestinians, right? They have a, a major like incarceration problem with Palestinians who um, are non-Israeli citizens, but are incarcerated in Israeli jails. And are are they be, being given any sort of due process or anything like that? That was one of the things that, once again, it's like you can get so much stuff there because you can become an Israeli citizen as an Arab, right? Um, but the dynamic is very peculiar if you're a Palestinian, right? Because you're kind of betraying your people if you become an Israeli citizen too. Like there's like that part of it. Like there's like a... a, The cultural sort of like faux pas or like... Yeah, but there's also also a difficulty in trying to... There's also like a should you... Okay, put in the American context. 
do Native Americans get civil rights? Yeah. We don't treat them like Palestinians, right? In that case, in the sense of that we don't, we say that you're self-governing, but you got to be a constitutional republic and you can't invade your neighbors, right? Uh, we we kind of put bounds around it, but then we say specifically say you're citizens. That's not a good analogy for how Palestinians are treated in Israel, right? Where they're, they have, uh, they're a non-citizen that lives within the geographic area of control of Israel or immigrates there too for work. Um, and so in that, in the sense, they're kind of treated like a foreign national, but not with the rights that you would give a foreign national per se. Right. So it's, it's a very difficult question because you can't, if you're a Palestinian who, um, in Gaza and you get permit to go to Jerusalem, for example, to go pray uh, for a holy day or something like that, and you make that trip. And then when you're in a market square, you get into a fight with an Israeli police officer. Like it isn't the same sort of rights that you might have as an Israeli citizen. You're not going to get that same treatment. Does that make sense? Yeah, where the, where there might be intervention by you know your embassy or something to intervene on your behalf. You or, don't have an embassy, <laughs> right? Because there's no there's no real like organization there to protect you. Right, sense. right, right. And, and 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 I and I want to be clear that I'm not sure that that Israel what Israel should do about that. Right. I mean, it seems like a single state solution is way outside of you know, and we're not talking about a solution yet, but because it's that's so far out, a two state solution is so is seems more reasonable, but also not um, attainable in this moment, especially that it's hard to imagine how it would work. Right. Um, uh, other than that, I do generally think in every circumstance, a monopoly of power has a responsibility to treat everyone who's domestically within their area with civil liberties because they have a responsibility to use their power for justice, right? So if you, um, in that circumstance I just painted, which is very friendly to the Palestinians, I get that, uh, and it, and I want to weigh that against the security threat anyone out of Gaza might have, right? They could be a member of Hamas. They could want to go blow up a church or something. Um, if if you're in that circumstance as Israel, you have a responsibility to try to give as much civil rights as you can to in order to preserve the thing that makes you an actual liberal state while trying to keep your people as secure as possible. Yeah. Does that seem reasonable? Absolutely. All right. Um, this is the difficulty of this issue, man, is like trying to get out of those grooves. It's so hard. Well, and I, I want to back up one step because you did mention that there is that the, there's this the theft of Palestinian homes by settlers in the West Bank. Is there there's evidence to suggest that that's actually happening yeah uh let me look this up real quick Jacob, you know this is not your house yes but if i go you don't go back so what's the problem why are you yelling at me i didn't do this yeah. i didn't do this but, but you're you're, not it's you're, easy to yell at me but i didn't do this yeah, you are helping. stealing my house and if i don't steal it someone else is gonna steal it no no one no one is allowed to steal it so it, 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 this isn't proof in the sense like, like maybe you're asking for. It's evidence. It's an example. It's like a watershed moment. It'd be a better way to think about it. Like there, you, if you do so, you can find video of Israeli bulldozers bulldozing a community and building a brand new community on top of it. Right? That's very clear. Uh, the map work here can be very deceptive. I totally admit that. But on the other side of it, it's pretty clear that there's an expansion of Israeli settlements that is a major wedge issue, and it's complicated in the domestic politics of that of the West Bank, where you, if you're a Palestinian, you know, like maybe your property rights aren't as secure as you think as as an Israelis, and that's a major problem for 
Israel's case that they're the Western democracy liberal order. Um, and just like every country, they're not perfect. I'm sure there's just error in the system, but there's also um, step back, look at 75 years of history, a systematic problem for the Palestinian population in the West Bank when it comes to holding onto the property over the long run and why. Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, just to further qualify it, I mean, this one anecdote can't substantiate a broader trend, but it is a, da- a data point within that, right? Yeah, and it's not really, that's why I mean it's like a watershed, right? It kind of shows the dialogue in a compelling way, but like this is something that's happening systemically, right? It's kind of happening behind the scenes and overtly, but also subvertly. And I, and I, there's not really a debate that it's not happening, right? I mean, like it's, I feel like if there was a clear, oh, there is no settlement problem in the West Bank. That that evidence is really on Israel to provide because yeah. I have seen zero of that kind of pushback, and I've and I've been looking. I've really been trying because it would be what much easier for me to see this as you know purely in my own biases of a you know Western property rights driven democracy against an Islamic caliphate, right? Um, I'm obviously on that side of Western, mm-hmm. right? Uh, to the degree they are, and 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 but uh, uh, and and there's a lot of you know there's there could be some misinformation out there, but I'm I'm fairly confident. Um, everything I looked at that the that the encroachment of settlements is a substantial contentious issue in Israel today. That you know is one of the complaints that Hamas has, even if it weren't a contentious issue. <laughs> like this is a motivation, right? For sure. Um, and then there's uh, there uh, uh, violence at Al Qusa. Um, which is the Temple Mount, right? Oh, and Al Aqsa. Al Aqsa. There yeah. you go. Uh, the Temple Mount. Uh, that's that the Israeli Defense Minister is part of a radical pro-war religious party and has been leading street battles with Muslims to push them out of the temple. Now this goes into a whole bunch of history, right? We don't have to dive into right now, but just really quick and dirty. There's a particular mountain in Jerusalem. Uh, it at one point was the site, according to Jews, of the first and second temple of the Bible, if you read the Old Testament. Um, that's why it's important for the Jews and it's important for Christians. Um, according to the prophecy of the Torah, uh, it's supposed to be the site of the third temple eventually. Um, and then the Messiah comes and stuff like that. The um, If I understand it right, someone correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not, a, I'm not Jewish, so I'm doing my best to understand their point of view. The Muslim um, takeover of this area of uh, at the time um, after the Romans was, you know, basically Muslimified the entire area. Everyone converted to Islam uh, and built a temple on top of where, where, where the old temple, the second temple resided before the Romans destroyed it. So Romans destroyed it soon afterwards, a new uh, mosque was built on top of it um, much later. So, this is this particular kind of focal point of the three religions of the area and the disagreement about, you know, this particular thing. Now, there is an error we make in the West, especially as like secularists in the West, to see this strictly as a religious problem. And it's not, right? There's ethnic problems. There's ethnic strife going on. There's racial strife going on. And I don't think that's unsubstantial. Like when you see the way they dialogue about Israelis versus Arabs, and this is as a white dude on the outside just looking at it, like there's a tremendous amount of ethnic, racist, religious, nationalistic, and then socioeconomic dynamics that are all stacked on top of each other here. And that's what makes it so contentious. Um, And so, 
you don't want to boil it down to that, but it is really important for Hamas to justify this on religious terms. And part of that is like a pretty decent case, in which case you have um, Israel, the stronger party in the area, with a defense minister and a new coalition government that is between the Likud party and parties, which is kind of like, think of it like a moderate Republican party, and the parties to the right of Likud that are even more radical about such things. Uh, and the defense Israeli defense minister is a dude who is, you know, by reputation associated with a, we need to level the mosque there and build a third temple so that we can fulfill the prophecy of the Torah sort of guy. So yeah. pretty, pretty extreme right. guy. And yeah. so, and, and is accused, and I don't know how substantiated this is, but is accused at least, and that's all they need at Hamas is just the accusation of impropriety of him leading a, a like, a, what's the right word? a gang of a, a group, a private group of Israeli to like do street battle by the mosque and throw out the Muslims. Hmm. So that kind of violence out there is documented and it's there and you can find it. Um, the third motivation is bringing Israel to the table to negotiate their conditions in mutual prisoner release. Now Israel's done this many times. So you got all these Palestinians that are in jail uh, and according to the Palestinians, not given the, the right kind of process, due process. And I think it's really up to Israel to prove that they are treating these people right. Uh, and I'm sure that I would much rather be in an Israeli jail than a Palestinian jail or a Hamas jail. Uh, but still, like, you have this issue, right, where there's, they, they're saying, hey, this is an issue. We want the release of our people because we're at war with you, right? There's like this Hamas war with, with Israel going on. And so they're, you know, one of the things, one of their aims is try to get Israel to release their prisoners in exchange for theirs. So they're trying to get leverage. And then third and fourth, and this is the most important part for how we need to think about it as Americans, is the theory of terrorism, right? This isn't what they say. This is, the, this is what I say about their underlying motivation, which is that their goal is to provoke Israel and the United States into a response. This is similar to... Um, Oh, what's his name? He wrote Rules for Radicals. It's based on right now. Saul Alinsky. Saul Alinsky's, the action is in the reaction, meaning you do something to provoke. When, when you're the weaker party and you're going against a stronger party, you do something to provoke them into action. And that reaction is the thing that, that you use to destroy them, right? A great example is 9-11, right? This helps, I think, Americans see it from their point of view. When we think of 9-11 now... Um, it's easy just to think of it as we were attacked and so we went and invaded Afghanistan. We don't tell the story from where it starts, which is the originator of the attack, Osama bin Laden, had a goal, and that goal was known. That goal was to attack us so that we would invade Afghanistan, get bogged down into a war of empire that destroys us. For people who are hearing that for the first time, first, first can, can you repeat it? Secondly, is there somewhere you can find it to substantiate it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, this is, if you read, um, oh, God, I'm forgetting the biography's name, the biographer's name, but Osama bin Laden's biography, right? And there's been multiple written. It's, it's not, it's a standard explanation. Like, it is the theory of how they won against the USSR, too, right? I mean, we funded the Mujahideen and trained Osama bin Laden as an asset of the CIA in the 1980s because the USSR invaded Afghanistan uh, for all kinds of reasons, partly for um, kind of commercial purposes. To Resources. Yeah. Uh, and then we trained these fighters who, you know, guerrilla fighters to attack them, um, kind of like a tit for tat for Vietnam for them funding the uh, Viet Cong. And 
the goal was to get them to spend a bunch of money into go into debt uh, for their military expenditure to hold on to this land so that it bankrupt them. Osama bin Laden's stated theory of victory uh, for you know attacking us on 9-11 was to provoke us into an overreaction that then killed lots of Muslim lives and got more Muslims to join the fight against the West, eventually leading to a, you know, either uh, Muslim victories be a, you know, direct confrontation uh, or uh, to basically get us to spend ourselves into oblivion, get us to the place where we have massive inflation, social unrest domestically. And, you know, we start tearing ourselves apart like an empire tends to do when they get overextended and deficit ridden. Well, I would say regardless of whether or not he was entirely responsible for that, that that is certainly where we have found ourselves. Right. We're responsible for our overreaction. That's the point. Like we have to learn the lesson of history, which is when you're the more powerful actor, what are your insecurities? It is the unity of your country, right? So yeah, we were super unified on 9-12. But two years later, we had people saying, hey, if you don't support our invasion of Iraq, you're not a real American. And them saying, wait, I'm a real American. How dare you say I'm not a real American? I just don't want to go kill a million people for, you know, for no reason. Well, speaking of responsibility to that, though, there were other forces that were, would stand to benefit from that invasion, correct? Right. And we were lied to, or or perhaps it was, you know, to give the most generous viewpoint, uh, there was misleading intelligence, perhaps, at, at least, a lie at best that Saddam had weapons of mass destruction, right? That was the narrative to get us into Iraq, but he, there were none that were ever found. Right. Right. So there were forces who were actively seeking to utilize that, that moment, right? That crisis and reaction to, to shepherd us into a conflict. Right. And, and that's the calculation of like the murderous insanity of Hamas, right? Is to do something so awful and horrible that Israel will overreact, do something awful and horrible in return, and the entire Muslim world sees that. And then, as of yesterday, um, the former leader of Hamas made a big call to all of Islam to go attack it, uh, Western or anywhere. This Friday, tomorrow, when we're recording this, right, maybe after this comes out, or before this comes out. And God, <sighs> protect people. I just can't even imagine what, what might happen, right? Um and, and, and I think that is one thing now where, you know, bad things are happening in Palestine, right? Bombings and children are suffering and all kinds of bad things. But how much worse it could get, especially if Israel does a land invasion of Gaza with tanks and people and people can't leave and all the difficulties that are happening in Gaza. If that gets really bad, how this could snowball into a regional conflict where lots of people will suffer, where this could snowball into um, a worldwide jihad like people are dying in all over the world uh, from Muslims who see bad things happening to Palestinians and then acting. Now, keep that in mind. Some of that's on Hamas, right? They are intentionally using their people to inspire people to attack Westerners, right? Some of that is on, you know, obviously on Israel to make sure that the response is as such that deprives them of the thing that they need in order to, per, in order to perpetuate this conflict. Right? How do they do that? Right, That could be an intractable problem, but geez, if you're looking at it clearly, I don't see how you can know your opponent's, uh, um, uh, know your opponent's strategy to defeat you and then feed it, right? Because that's what we did in Afghanistan. That was our error, 
right? We could have done a letters from market reprisal. We could have done this very differently. We didn't have to do a land invasion and occupy it for 20 years. We could have done this very, very differently, but we didn't. And now we're paying the consequence of, of it. Where, <laughs> me, okay. How many billions of dollars of equipment was left in Afghanistan? Too many. Right? What if some of those weapons were used by Hamas in this attack, right? How did they get in force? We don't know. Well, there's a lot of unknowns here. And I'm just speculating. So keep this with a grain of salt. But, you know, we have this situation where the unintended consequences of massive military actions are so wide ranging that we have to be very careful. And like, and, and, and you're asking Israel at the point where they're most emotionally triggered to be very, very careful. And, 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 I, and that's like, you know, that's the praiseworthy thing out of the State Department has been like, hey, do what you got to do to protect yourself. Absolutely. We understand that. We don't want anyone innocent to die. But try to minimize civilian casualties because this is what they're going to use against you. Uh, the Israeli response has been shutting off water, food, and electricity um, to prosecute the, quote, human animals, end quote, in Gaza. So it looks like Israel's fallen in the, Israel's fallen in the trap because, like, it's one thing to say, hey, you know, we, we try to warn everybody in this building before we bomb the building uh, that, they're, that we're going to bomb the building in order to deprive the opponents from um, having a base of operations, okay? It's another thing to basically turn off all the power and so they can't and, all the, and keep all the food from getting there when you're saying we're going to differentiate between the women and the children and the bad guys. This is a particular doctrine in Israel. Once again, an indetractable problem, but it is a doctrine. It's called the Dahia Doctrine. Um, we'll put a link to the Wikipedia on it. And basically what it means is when they hit your civilian population, the only rational response from Israel is to hit their civilian population to a greater degree, thus emphasizing, like creating the incentive not to. I don't know what Israel should do better, but this feels to me as a Westerner, as a person who grew up around Native American reservations um, and the anthology of Western guilt around how we treated the Native Americans, uh, like a justification to do very terrible things and blame it on the person you're doing it to. Because saying... Um, there's a big difference between saying we have a doctrine that says our goal is to hit as many, as many you, I, I do that because it's just like, it's so, it's so terrible is to hit as many civilians as possible because they are hitting civilians and we can't help it because they are bad guys really removes your responsibility. Right. And then it perpetuates the cycle of violence. It attempts to, right. It attempts to remove the responsibility, but but it doesn't. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I don't want to make the case. I don't want to overstate it too. This is a doctrine. It's not the doctrine. I, sure. if, I, if I said that earlier, I'm sorry. What I mean is it is a doctrine of Israel to do that. Um, some people within the Israeli government adhere to, and some people probably criticize, uh, but be very careful about that in, in what you're thinking of in the Israeli response. We want to make sure it doesn't turn into the, uh, the full doctrine. Um, there is this strange thing happening with Israel telling people to leave and then warning people of attacks and bombings and stuff like that. And then people not being able to go anywhere. Like for example, um, there was reported that they were you know, encouraged to go to Egypt. If you notice on the map, there is um, the, you know, of course the Southwestern part of 
Israel is um, Egypt. Uh, the problem is there is that Egypt doesn't want Palestinians. Um, it's a it's a heck of a problem. I, I would hope that what Egypt would do would be take women and children and get them out of this space. Can you explain why Egypt doesn't want Palestinians? Like why they wouldn't, you know, seek at least provide asylum temporarily? I'll try. Well, <laughs> temporary is a heck of a problem, right? Well, how temporary <laughs> uh, is it? I mean, this is a big question. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Like, and how to how to spend it? I mean, Egypt's not a first world country. It's a it's a poorer country than many. Not all. Um, the you don't want to treat. Palestinians the same as Egyptians. They're a different ethnic group. These are not fungible groups. Just because they share a common religion doesn't mean they treat each other the same. It's a frame. It's it's like Americans, and I struggle with this too. I'm not speaking down to Americans on this. We uh, sometimes struggle with the difference between ethnicity, religion, uh, race. These things all feel very uh, strange to us, at least to me, um, from my background. So. It's Palestinians aren't treated in Egypt as first class citizens is the um, so there's a lack of um, incentive for them to think, oh, it's, everything's going to be better if I go to Egypt. Well, it's going to be complicated. Will you be in what you describe as an open air prison? I don't think so, but it's not necessarily a guaranteed better life. Mm-hmm. And there's also additionally like that, like, you know, legitimate criticisms of Palestinians to say like, hey, what's more important like this, the the crusade to make sure that, you know, there's Palestine isn't defeated by Israel. So you got to stay in order to keep the, as you described, colonial power, you know, perpetually in its, you know, place of dominance and destruction, or is the goal, or should be the goal be the preservation of your children, your children's life. So is it similar to sort of like a caste system in India is that you mean Egypt? The the just the perception oh. of Palestinians as sort of second class, or yeah, that's, you know, is there that's, is there a ranking system like amongst Arab nations in that way? Yeah, sorry, um, I don't think it's formal. Um, what I suspect is it's more like a cultural bias would be the way to think about it. Yeah, you have a fundamental uh, a cultural bias that's like Palestinians aren't the same as Egyptians, duh, yeah. right? And Egypt's for the Egyptians, right? <laughs> like that's how. It's understood there. And um, while there might be sympathy, you know, cross-Muslim sympathy and things like that, uh, you know, there, there's, there's a historical problem here too. After the uh, kind of initial war uh, that founded the state of Israel, 700,000 Palestinians. And now what I mean by Palestinians here too is like, it's a very complicated story. So I'm going to try to do a good, do a justice. From the time of 1880 to 1942, uh, there was a tremendous amount of immigration for jobs around the area uh, to um, Israel of Arabs and Muslims. Palestinians means them and the people who are there when the Zionist Israelites, I mean that technically, came there to have a land for the Jews, right? And just to for the sake of folks who don't know what the term Zionist is, that, that is, those are people that uh, desire to see an ethno state for Jews, that being Israel. Is that correct? That would be the technical way to say it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that's approximately right. Like you're, you're just saying that there should be a country where Jews should feel safe. Right. And sure. that's completely rational. After the Holocaust, 100%. you can't imagine people saying, you know, like where, where would be safe? I mean, America betrayed our Jews here. The Holodomor is about to happen. Right, where Jews in Ukraine and all across the USSR are going to be put into a very difficult circumstance. Um, and you mean like right, right now? 
No, 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 no. I oh, mean, at that period, time. at that period okay, of time, okay, right? Okay. And uh, we're talking about um, landowning Jews, for example, yep. in Ukraine or something like that. Uh, and there could be, um, um, there's all kinds of pressure across Europe, uh, pogroms that have been going on for decades prior to that period. What is a pogrom? Uh, basically, I want a bunch of um, either state action or private action to just purge a unpopular people group, right? So you can, uh, there are there are like Catholic purges in England, right? And there's also Jewish pur- pur- uh, purges. Program was just kind of like a catch-all word for when that happened in Europe. Sure. Man, there's a, yeah, there's a lot to get up on here. So we go down a lot of rabbit holes yeah. trying to trying to <laughs> trying explain to things thoroughly. Context. Yeah. So with the founding of the independence of Israel in the after World War II, the UN said, "Hey, there's we're going to do this thing. This like agreement." Um, and it's difficult to understand that the UN can't create a country too. Like that's actually a very complicated story there too. We won't touch on it right now, but the UN pretty much says, you know, here's a deal. Jerusalem is going to be a kind of international city, kind of controlled by no one and everyone. Uh, we'll have a particular area that'll be for uh, uh, Jews who want to leave Europe and, and go here. And then we'll have this area for the Palestinians, the people who are currently there. And it doesn't look like this map now. It looks like a map very much inverted to that, where most of the area was controlled by Palestine. After the, you know, Jews get established, uh, of course, a lot of the is Muslim countries around there take offense to that and attack. Two things happen at once. One, or the uh, independence wars, what Israel, uh, uh, people from Israel call it. And there's also a purging that happens. So this is very, this isn't, I wouldn't say controversial. It seems like the historical rhetoric is bifurcated, right? There's um, the uh, pro, there's an, uh, there's an Israel story and there's a Palestinian story. And anyone coming at this is going to have a hard time telling which is which. Like you, it's very clear which is which when you're listening to it. And it's hard to know what's true. But as far as I can tell, taking the, the best sources I could find is that there's two things that happen at once. One Israel drastically expands its air, its territory. Uh, it beats back all the surrounding Arab countries. Um, 700,000 to 800,000 to 600,000, somewhere in that ballpark range of 200,000, uh, Palestinians leave or pre- pretty much pick, pick up and move because of all the fighting that's going on out of pre- uh, present day Palestine. Yeah. Assuming they would be able to come back. Right. This, this happens in war, right? They go to Egypt, they go to Jordan, they go to Syria, they go to all the surrounding areas. And for a lot of those areas, some of them take them in and then they have a refugee problem and some of them actually keep them out. And there's like these refugee camps, some of them in Lebanon and Syria that have been around forever. Like they still have refugee camps of former Palestinians uh, in those areas. Terrible humanitarian problem. You have three generations of people growing up in a camp. Horrifying, uh, bad poverty uh, issue. At the same time, and I have to mention this because I wouldn't be doing my uh, honesty, the historical record does suggest that there were both private and public actors who were Israeli who wiped out entire villages of Palestinians. That is a fact. And part of this is, is the land grab of that and the like resentment of that is still in play, right? So if you look at like the March to return, right, which was pretty much was a protest movement in 2019 that said, we're going to do a peaceful protest in Gaza. Uh, and it was kind of like 
it wasn't it wasn't organized by Hamas. It was actually organized by a guy who's a journalist and a poet who then says, "Hey, I had this idea. We should do this, and we're going to do a peaceful protest." And it got and it. This is a really great Joe Rogan experience article, or I mean, uh, interview with the Abby Martin, I think her name is, and she did a whole documentary on it. And you've got to watch it um, because one of the things that happened in a lot of the rhetoric of this space is people say, "Well, they're only they only respond to violence. They never do anything else. They never do the Gandhi thing." And this is them trying to do the Gandhi thing. And unfortunately, um, and it, 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 I mean, I looked, man, I could not find any prosecution of soldiers who did this, but there were several, and I mean, I mean, several hundreds of protesters shot at these and died. And we're talking women, children, medics, press, press, unarmed. No, no confusion around at, at tanks. Right? Okay. So, so not like, and, and to be clear about that particular anecdote, you're referring to the, the 13 year old boy who had the sling with the rock and threw a rock at a tank and, and was shot. Mm-hmm. Right. But, and, but generally, generally speaking, unarmed, peacefully protesting people, right. There's no inter intermingling with people with, with guns or th- there's no presence of that. You know, you watch, you, you watch the documentary, you make the best conclusion you can. I mean, the very specific case was Hamas was like, was like approving, but did not organize. Um, the, the call was specifically for there not to be an armed protest, rather to try to raise international sympathy uh, in a very um, Gandhi-like, MLK-like attempt to help people understand and see what what's going on in Gaza at the time. And, and they the were, West they largely ignored it. With, with violence. And, and, and then ignored when it happened. Oh, after the fact. Yeah. I mean, like, you didn't hear about it till now. I mean, I how think. many people listening to this knew about the, uh, the March Return? Now, the March Return is specifically why I bring it up right now, is it was about a march to, hey, a lot of us aren't actually from Gaza, and we would like to go back to our homes. And we would... You know, but some of their homes are in the West Bank or in their areas controlled by Israel, and Israel doesn't want those people. Or they are in Jordan, and Jordan doesn't want those people. So what do you do with them? Like we, this is this is meant to be the start of a negotiation to do something about this, and not just make it a domestic problem for Israel to handle on its own. This was meant to appeal to the larger international community because they don't feel like they can get a fair share from Israel. Israel specifically said this was like a a manipulation by Hamas to try to create sympathy. Oh, so that the march to return was that? Yeah, and and and. And the problem is, is I'm having a hard time believing Israel at this moment, right? Because everything I saw was that. So if you have another case, you got to make a better case. Because afterwards, I, I mean, I looked and I could not find where this was, how this could be anything other than what it looked like when you're watching it. And you watch the two-hour documentary, you could look at the news coverage around it, and you could do your own research. It seems like to me, if you were Israel and you're, what you really want was a peaceful solution, you would have taken this opportunity to not let, to, to prosecute soldiers who shot people and to specifically hold your own side accountable and to specifically use this as an opportunity to, um, to start peace negotiations and stuff like that. Um, I do want to know too, uh, the American government response and a few things with that. Because our internal dialogue really matters in the space because we're, we're the world power, right? We're the hegemon. Um, and Israel's looking to us and American soldiers are both like part of the captives in Gaza and have been killed by uh, Hamas. So, um, one response is that the American government has, is sending one or two, I've saw conflicting reports, uh, aircraft carriers. I don't understand why. Um, I've, 
think they might be thinking, oh, this might turn into a regional conflict, right? And that's why we need air support there. Well, yeah, and, and I think there's there's another assertion around this that may be playing into that, and that is that Iran was complicit in funding or approving or planning or something to do with Hamas's attack on Israel. Is there evidence to suggest that that is true? Uh, there's our news report. I don't want to say there's evidence, right? That's that's the that's the crazy thing is I just it was so quick. I mean, within a day of this attack, there's a Wall Street Journal article saying there were there um, Iran met with Hamas right beforehand, and this is a, a whole thing. And so, okay, so so that that meeting was substantiated to be clearly this is their involvement in this event, right? And there's whether also, or not that's true, yeah, right. And like we don't know what happened at the meeting. I mean, and, and, and um, Hamas and Iran have a relationship, right, because of the, um, how important the Palestinian plight is to, you know, their movement as the um, Iranian revolution, right? As it's a part, it's hard to, it's hard to, mm, you have to try to see things from a completely different worldview, right? Which is the worldview of a colonized organ people, right? who uh, had the lines of their country drawn by the Sykes-Picot agreement way back in the day, uh, who were dominated by, and I'm talking about Iran in this case. Right. And just to be clear, yeah, we're not, not talking about Israel having colonized. We're talking about like British and, and other old world superpowers colonizing the entire Middle East and, and drawing political lines around, around groups of people that are ethnically very different from one another and have conflicts of their own. Right? Well, and specifically drawing the lines to uh, make the Middle East weak. Right. The reason why you draw Iraq, the shape that it is, is in order to prevent them from having a, a water port. That's why you put Kuwait there. Mm. Right. Sykes-Picot was designed, and this is the standard historical record. I'm not saying anything controversial here. Was designed, and, and it's not, Sykes-Picot was a diplomatic cable that got released. It's not the actual thing, but it's about the negotiation between the French and the British to specifically draw these lines around ethnic lines that would keep any one power from gaining control and dominion over the Middle East. So they would never have another Ottoman empire to contend with. That's the point, right? So, um, and then additionally that, so if you're Iran and your whole battle is with BP and British petroleum and um, you know, you have the whole story with the Iranian revolution, which we don't need to get into one of your kind of like trigger points to get Muslims into the fight with you. And this is the same trigger point that, Saudi Arabia uses with Wahhabism that uh, the, the Salafists use that the um, the Taliban use like everybody in the Middle East uses this is the plight of the Palestinians because it is from their narrative a very clear example of and I leave this to the listener to decide because it isn't it's difficult to it's difficult to talk about this in a different way than how we kind of frame it right but there's a an attempt to what the what the what their story is is that there is a the the Muslims in this area that have been there for a very long time have this Western colonial European state put on top of them that is Israel, right? And then you use their plight to gin up your people, right? So that's 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 Iran's um, uh, incentive to work with Hamas, even though Iran is Shia and Hamas is Sunni, right? They don't agree on theology. In fact, Hezbollah. Uh, which is controls, uh, which is more associated with Lebanon, but is, is more like northern Israel uh, as a problem in northern Israel is much closer related to Iran. They're more likely, they're more of a Lebanese Shia um, um, uh, group 
And on top of that, like they were founded, they, according to reports that I read, founded by Iranian Revolutionary Guard members. Mm. So they're not like... It isn't it just by having a meeting doesn't suggest that Iran planned this in any substantial way, right? It would be like saying um, the Ukraine, like a particular offense of Ukraine, was planned by America because Zelensky met with Biden. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't. It maybe, but but all of the different Muslim factions that exist that all have this sort of common enemy in Israel can and will potentially coordinate or or potentially just use certain events and actions to their own benefit right? because they all have sort of this common, common enemy in that, in that state. Right. That's that you gotta, if you're taking it from the Muslim worldview, what you're doing is you're trying to say, we are the victim of this colonial oppression and we need to bind together and fight them. And like, that's like in contrast to, you know, what was at, you know, before the collapse of Iraq, the dominant question was, are we Muslims first or are we Arabs first? Right. It's a religion versus ethnic question. Right. Are we nationalists first? Are we about like taking the lines that we've been given to by the Western powers and making the best of it and trying to make, you know, countries out of them? Or should we reject that and create a new state? That's what ISIS was. ISIS was an attempt to do that out of the space between Syria and Iraq. So like if you're trying to adopt their point of view so you can understand it, you're you got to start with that kind of matrix of um, moral thinking where you're the victim of a colonial oppression from the outside that has kind of created all the conditions that you object to. And Palestinians are like the best case example of that as they are actively like in this space where they have little giant walls around them and they have to have permission to go get a job outside of their workplace and all that kind of stuff. All right. So um, the other one, and I do want to praise the State Department on this, is the U.S. has said it's discussing with Israel and Egypt options for securing safe passage for civilians leaving Gaza who may be caught in the crossfire as Israel retaliates from Hamas's deadly onslaught and prepares for a, uh, a likely ground offensive as tanks and um, reservists are being called to the front lines. So um, a couple breakdowns of the right wing message on this. In America, uh, you know, everybody on the right wing did a great job calling out the evil of Hamas. Um, many called for punishment of Hamas, which is totally understandable. The best called out for punishment that spared innocent lives and called for cool heads, in my opinion, right? Uh, the worst called for indiscriminate slaughter usually along the lines of the collectivist era that we're talking about where it's, you know, do what you got to do, let them turn it into a parking lot sort of rhetoric. That's completely disgusting. And basically at its core is an argument, slaughter innocent civilians because they slaughtered innocent civilians, which is a terrible argument. Yeah. So why is it that the right, the political right in the United States tends to side with Israel? Well, I think, okay. So, I want to introduce a concept that I think will help people understand the cons, the, all this stuff and why the allyship happens on the right. And I call it the moral matrix. There's been a more thorough write up by a Cato scholar. I forget his name right now. I should have linked it, but I can get you the link. And basically the, the argument is that different people based upon their, um, their personality and their kind of intuitive biological driven, like moral values and I mean like how strong your disgust mechanism is and stuff like that have, a, have chosen a particular like moral philosophy. And, and it's usually in some kind of tension between two different, um, like a bad principle, bad thing and a good thing. In this case it would be like civilization versus barbarism, right? That's very classically associated with conservatives. If you read, um, man, the God of, uh, God and man at Yale. What, what was it? National review editor. Forget in space in this. My head is just full of, 
foreign policy at the moment. I can't remember books I've read. <clears throat> God and man at Yale. Is that right? God yeah. and man at Yale. Yeah. Um, William F. Buckley Jr. Yes, 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 yeah. Buckley. All right. A lot of that is is kind of talking about, and, and a lot of conservatism is based upon this idea that like we have a noble tradition, a noble civilization, and what we need to do is make sure it doesn't degenerate. We got to make sure it does it from within or get conquered by barbarians without, right? And anyone, and you don't have to be conservatives to embrace that. It's just that the core moral, like, crux the moral matrix of it is based there so they kind of frame it as israel's you know like civilization and you know and and islam and caliphates and stuff like that are barbarous right they they force marry they do female genital mutilation um they cut off the heads of their enemies right oh you know there's all kinds of ways to push back against that and criticisms against the west not saying that those aren't real but that's the the idea that we have something noble we're shooting for that is civilized and there's a group of people who don't share those values. We've got to be careful. We don't either turn into those people or, and allow ourselves to kind of, you know, metamorphosize into them. And that's kind of like the push against progressivism and like, you know, social justice war and stuff like that. And then there's like people from the outside, which even triggers the more conservative mindset more because conservatives are very much uh, by temperament organized by borders and like arrangement of the sacred versus the un, the unholy. So borders uh, or um, conservatives by nature tend to emphasize borders more while liberals tend to de-emphasize borders because they're more open and they're not, they're not as, they don't have, not as morally sensitive to holiness or civilization versus barbarism. Does that make sense? Absolutely. The tendency of these as subjective categories, categories as a liberal, while as a conservative, you're like, no, 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 this is a very objective category. Some of us have forced marriages and some of us don't, right? Some of us throw uh, homosexuals off of buildings and some of us don't. It, it's it's interesting to me though because there's there's an opposition philosophically that I'm seeing here. There's like a a, a, a misalignment between the American left, as you described, de-emphasizing borders, more open, and the very strict um, philosophies and sort of you know in their own way, religiously very conservative mentalities and values of Islamic people yeah also, and and, and yeah. but it's but it's odd that like the american right tends to align itself with israel and the american left tends to align itself with with uh muslim you know perspectives but but they're so at odds with each other right. and it makes sense when you realize that the the left wing moral matrix is oppressor oppressed right it isn't it's it's rather than civilization versus barbarism it's who is the oppressor right and those are the bad guys and the oppressed are the good guys so mm. in the Palestinian worldview, why you have so many people who are like purple haired, lesbian, feminist types, which is totally fine to be. Great. Love it. But if you're that person and why, why you see so many of those people like being, hey, pro-Palestine, right? And, and anti-Israel is because of the sensitivity of colonization has on their mental model of the world, right? So um, if you see the world as like a patriarchy that's oppressing people that are oppressing women or oppressing gays or the LGBTQ plus community, you're, you're also seeing it as like the West oppressing the Middle East, right? Which is a perfectly fine way to think about it in some, in some frameworks, right? In the sense of sometimes you have imperial regimes that do bad things to their citizens and they're not like, think of the Dutch during the colonial era, terrible regime, right? Um, think of the British putting down Gandhi. Right. The good guy is Gandhi. The bad guy are the British. Right. It's very clear that colonialism has huge problems. Right. So um, it, it's a it's a perfectly fine mental model, just like 
uh, civilization versus barbarism. It's just that it creates that kind of bedfellowness because what they're saying is like, we're fellow travelers in oppression, but that's not necessarily how the um, people in, they're not seeing it from identity identity politics point of view if you're in Gaza, right? They don't agree with their lifestyle, I'm sure. I'm sure they also appreciate having anybody in the West who, you know, sees their plight and is willing to sympathize with them, right? Absolutely. I mean, and that's partially because like the, the, the conservatives also have this, I mean, beyond their moral matrix problem. And I think that's the larger and more secular conservative point of view on this. The, um, the religious point of view can't be the formal religious point of view can't be underestimated too. Right. We have about a hundred years of American Christian doctrine since the founding of the state of Israel that kind of puts them on a different place. Right. Um, where the theology of Americans have kind of shifted where prior to the founding of Israel, Israel is kind of a non-factor, right? Like it's part of your religious education, but it isn't seen as a fulfillment of biblical prophecy where um, a lot of Christians today see it that way, right? Not everybody does. And there's a lot of debate on the theology here. We should have Adam on sometime and we could talk about it. But uh, because I think as an Orthodox, it's even more interesting um, point of view uh, because they're, they're, they're pre that stuff, right? They're not... They're not on that same kind of vanguard that the evangelicals can be when it comes to this question of the state of Israel. That gets very combined with the politics here, where it's like Israel is the chosen people of God, and therefore we should support them because they're the good guys, kind of regardless of what happens. Um, and um, I'm not going to criticize that right now, although I, I think there are probably good criticisms. Um, but that, that definitely plays a major role in the, in the right-wing support of Israel. Uh, next one of that is... Uh, so the left also had wins and losses here, right? And um, they had, you know, good leftists, including like President Biden, called out the evil. The best ones called out for peace. Um, the best ones called out for starting peace talks, which were which which is a good thing, right? Although we're large, they called out as appeasement for doing so. And then the worst justified the murder of innocent civilians in the name of decolonization, right? And those are truly terrible like the blm thing that happened although it's there's some question about whether or not those real blm or like a individual who just associated with what is that what happened oh black lives matter basically put out like a meme uh poster okay so one of the things that happened with this is there was a dude or a couple guys um who got like those parachuting i don't know what you call it. we got like the big fan and like a parachute and you like you fly Oh yeah. That, what's it called? Yeah, like a it's like Paraglide? a motorized uh paraglider or something like that. Yeah. 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 And like they got weapons and they're flying in and they use that to fly over the the barriers, right? And so there's like um there's an iconography they were trying to create with that of like flying over the barriers of your oppression sort of thing. Mm. And it really came off as looking like and you know by rhetoric. I'm not saying this is an unfair categorization, but they basically were saying the guys here are Palestine and that was wrong. So so to be clear, because that was a tactic that Hamas used to invade Israel, right? They right. did fly over the border with these motorized paragliders. You're saying that BLM activists did that as well? Sort of like a, they didn't attack anyone, of course, but they did that as sort of oh. some sort of symbolic thing. Is nah. that what you're saying? No, nah, let me show you. I, I'm misunderstanding the, clear, the, the, the moment here, what yeah. BLM did specifically. Yeah. This was the image. Oh, okay. So this was a, this was an image put out by someone black lives matter no this isn't the original this is a this is a copy of it but, but someone seemingly affiliated with with black lives matter put out this image of the the right the, and they also put out statements that were pretty much blaming israel for the slaughter of these innocents i see yeah on, to, to read for those only listening here this this um this image reads 
Black Lives Matter grassroots stands in solidarity with our Palestinian family who are currently resisting 57 years of settler colonialism and apartheid as black people continue the fight to end militarism and mass incarceration in our own communities. Let us understand the resistance in Palestine as an attempt to tear down the gates of the world's largest open-air prison. As a radical black organization grounded in abolitionist ideals, we see clear parallels between black and Palestinian people. And that's, that's oppressor oppressed, right? That, that kind of demonstrates the moral matrix I'm talking about. So, you know, obviously a lot of people found that very offensive, right? Because, you know, there's that, right? And then you have things like Harvard and Yale, uh, their student groups, pro-Palestine student groups put out stuff that basically said, hey, if you don't like this, you should end the, the practices of Israel against Palestine. Um, and, and that it's just, it's just like the wrong place, wrong time sort of thing. Yeah. Some of it, some of it's like people who are legitimately like, they spent a long time thinking about this issue and you know, right now we're trying to mourn the loss of children's lives and the terror that was caused by these terrible actors. Isn't the time to say, Hey, but you know, they have real grievances, right? It, no, that's the time to say those people are terrible period. And then a few days later. Or even in another paragraph, if you want to be really aggressive about it, you say there are civilians in Palestine suffering daily and they have real problems. And these people are not, this isn't a good strategy. These aren't good people that they're, that they're representing or or that kind of thing. And we need to, if you value the human lives of the people of Palestine, I totally understand where you're coming from, right? Because I've been consuming that stuff too. I've been trying to understand that point of view, right? Because that's the only way you get to truth, right? You don't get to truth by dogmatically following a, a, a party line, right? You got to consume the other things around you, right? And so if you're saying like, look, I saw the March for Peace. I saw peaceful Palestinians and be shot in the face. Children, women, press, medics. And it was terrible what they did in 2019, right? And it's a shame that the West didn't pay attention then because we never would have got to here if we wouldn't have got to peace talks after that. That's a much better point than yeah. saying, hey, it's okay. You know, like Hamas is justified. This is actually Israel's fault. Yeah. You know, because these same people would also, would also be very upset if when uh, um, Israel says it's okay for us to, to to have collateral damage, right? Understandably, collateral damage is terrible, right? So when these collateral damage is you know children and women and medics and all those kind of things, it's um, that collective punishment is bad when both sides do it. And I hate to, I hate it because like you say both sides and what you hear is that that like Reddit voice in your head saying, oh, both sides. Oh, you're just lazy. No, I'm really trying to engage here. And what I see is an error made by both sides. There have been a lot of mistakes made and, and a lot of terrible decisions made. Uh, and, and I mean, well, it's just it's a very interesting time because the emotions are so high mm-hmm. that people I mean, we know that when when you're you know, your, your reptile brain turns on, right? The, 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 the cortex that's, that's responsible for emotion was that your amygdala, right? Your fight or flight, like kind of your, your really base reactions, Mm -hmm. uh, your reasoning and your frontal cortex turns off, right? Your ability to actually digest and understand things impartially is impaired. And so it, it, it's almost impossible at this point for people who are consuming like such traumatic media. And I mean, like there's no mistake, like it is traumatic to see and read and hear about some of the things that have happened right now. And even in past conflicts, it's super traumatic and it makes sense that people are, are struggling 
to think about these things in any way rationally because you know whether or not you have like an affiliation it's still like inhumane mm-hmm. everything that's happening mm-hmm. and, and that's why i keep on using the word indetractable right because anytime i'm advancing on a side of that i'm saying but i understand israel has a has a has a security problem here and on the other side of it palestinians have a real problem if you can't get access to food and water yeah what are you willing to do to change the status quo right that's that's a tough problem. And then on top of that, them not being, you know, spring virgin grass and just completely innocent. Only the only innocent people here are the children yeah. being indoctrinated into radical Islam inside Gaza or being told on the other side that all the Palestinians want to do is kill you. Yeah. Right? That's neither of those two things are are good good ways to treat children, much less, you know, the 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 inevitable suffering that happens when Hamas does this. I so think, we gotta th- we gotta we gotta turn off the emotions, right? And yeah. and we gotta start trying. What if one of the goals is like to get out of the grooves and try to forge a different lexicon, or maybe not lexicon, because I'm not an expert in the space, so I couldn't do that. But maybe some mental models that would help people navigate these stories as they come up and navigate these arguments better. Um, that was hopefully like what I wanted to try to contribute, right? What I've done so far is try to describe things accurately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what I what I hope from here is to try to be more um, less is but more ought. Like this is how people ought to think about these things. Yeah. Because what I suspect is by being a congruent with our philosophy that has made Western civilization so successful, reason, um, not superstition, right? Uh, um, operating by maxims and principles rather than free floating alliance thinking. Uh, there's a great book called Weird. Have you ever heard of it before? Uh, I have heard of it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like why Western people are so unique is pretty much what the study is. Weird being an acronym. right? Yeah. 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 Western educated, industrialized something, something. Yeah. 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 Something like that. We'll put it in the notes. Yes. Uh, that book really demonstrates just how different we think. Right. And, and what we want to do is just like you said, we want to resist like the kind of falling down to a moral order that is actually more normal to humans, which is my side. Good other bad, right? And the second gauge with how do we think about this in a way that hopefully, and this isn't saying that we can using our podcast change the way Israel or Hamas or anyone thinks about it, but rather how individuals can think systematically in a way that applies here that would help us understand and not be fooled by the misinformation that's happening or the manipulations that happen from people in the space. So this is the end of part one of our two-part series, trying to understand the complex nature of the conflict in Israel. Check out the next episode for part two, where we dive into the mental models that surround this issue to try to give you some frameworks and ways to interpret things, lenses through which to view them, to better understand what's going on. Thanks for tuning in to Human Reaction. Help us fight internet censorship by liking, commenting, subscribing, following and sharing the show with your friends to find us around the internet visit linktree.com slash human reaction pod 